If you got your Bible, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. Actually, that's a lie. Turn to Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Sorry. I'm just getting excited about next week. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> April Fools. <laughs> hey, raise your hand if you just came from an OCHEM test. How'd it go? Good, yeah? Sydney? <laughs> we'll pray for you. <laughs> Man, I thank God for coming, even after a test. Like, that's, that's awesome. Romans chapter 5, uh, verse 12 is where we're going to start in just a moment. Um, hey, I'm just curious, who's, who's going to be here for, or let me phrase it this way, who's going uh, home if you're not from Lubbock? Who's going home for Easter? Man, a lot of folks. Y'all pumped? Yeah. <laughs> we're going to miss y'all. But hey, if you're here Sunday, I hope you'll come and worship with us. By the way, Lauren uh, gets to bring the babies to church on Sunday if you're here, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Brittany Walsh in the house. <laughs> hey, let me, let me, I know we just pray, but let me pray one more time and we're going we're gonna to dive in. God, thank you so much for your word and just for this time together. I pray that you would um, speak to us and challenge us um, and encourage us, Lord, and just remind us of the gospel. And if you would, uh, right where you're at, just take a second to ask God um, to speak to you tonight. And if you would ask that he would um, use me to encourage you. God, we love you and just um, trust that your word will speak to us tonight. And you'll uh, speak through it. And we pray. Amen. So who, who here lives in the dorm or has lived in the dorm at some point? You know, one of the, so I've lived three years in college and three years, or like three years at college, I should say, and three years in seminary. Living in the dorm, you know one of the things I most despised about dorm life? There are a lot of things. Anybody with me? Hallelujah. Um, but one of, the, one of the things was you couldn't really, and I don't mean this like in like a, a lame way, my bros, but like you couldn't, you couldn't really decorate. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, so my, my maybe not y'all, but me, for like my dorm was concrete block walls and you couldn't put anything on it. So it was like literally you wake up and you're like, am I in prison or at college? Like, like, like I'm just not sure where I'm at. We, we couldn't decorate anything. So when Lauren and I moved into our house, man, it's like, it's, it's time to decorate. Right, we're going to do this right. We're going to put up pictures and stuff. And um, I'm, I'm kind of like my dad when it comes to putting things on the wall. I want to ensure it is never going to fall, right? Like the house may be on the ground, but on that wall, still connected to the wall will be the picture, right? Like that's how we do it. And um, for me, I don't know if you guys are this way, the more important, uh, let's not say it that way, the more dangerous it is that something might not stick the more serious I get about making sure it will stick, right? So like for a ladies' example, um, when I was, we were getting ready, the, the twins' room, there's the baby changing table. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but you get what I'm saying. We change the diapers and all that really, really cool stuff, okay? And um, above that, we, Lauren had bought this metal tree. It's like supposed to be about growing in the gospel, right, and everything, really beautiful and everything. But it's this heavy metal tree that's literally like was going to hang right over where they're going to be laying. <laughs> and so like I didn't just use duct tape, right? Like I think if you could go in there and like you, you try to get it off, you're not going to get it off, okay? Like it is, it's on there. It's probably a little overkill. If we ever move houses, whoever moves into the house, is just going to have to leave it there, right? Like it's not going anywhere because I don't, I'm not going to risk it falling and, and hey, Lord, I was changing one of the baby's diapers and now their head's crushed, right? Like I'm not going to do that. Um, so I, I went overkill with making sure it would stick. When, when, 
when there's a danger that something might not stick, it's, it's worth ensuring it does, right? Going the extra mile. One of my um, preaching professors, Dr. Edwards, he always, when he talks about preaching, he says, you don't want to take a handful of nails and throw it at them because if you take a, if I take a handful of nails and go throw it against the wall, how many of them are going to actually stick and stay in the wall? None of them, right? Unless I'm like Nolan Ryland, maybe, okay? Um, but if I go back there with a hammer and take one nail, probably going to make it stick, right? If I pound it over and over and over again. Paul in in Romans chapter five, he's been all through like really chapter three up to now, pounding this idea over and over again of justification by faith, that you're saved not by what you do, but by what Jesus has done for you. He's been hitting it over and over and over again. And the reason is, just like the whole little metal thing over the baby's changing table, is because it's incredibly, like if this idea and this truth doesn't stick to our lives, it is really, really dangerous for us. If we don't get justification by faith, if it's just kind of like, you know, sometimes I embrace it, sometimes I don't, it's really, really dangerous for us. So he keeps hitting it over and over again. And so tonight, I just want you to know that after tonight in chapter six, he kind of shifts and talks about some different things. But so tonight, as you're hearing this, it's not like, oh, it's kind of similar to what we've already heard. No, he's gonna look at it from a different angle. But again, he's hitting the same truth again because it's really important. Let me ask you, um, do you think, you can just like kind of give me a head nod or whatever. Do you feel in your own life, do you find as a Christian, talking to Christians here, do you find that you tend to drift towards legalism, meaning making your relationship with God all about rules and like, um, maybe that doesn't mean you necessarily follow them, but you feel like if I do right things, God loves me, and if I do bad things, and he doesn't love me. Would anybody agree that you kind of drift towards that? Yeah, that's a, that's a huge thing in the New Testament that God through Paul is always coming back to and saying, hey, don't drift towards legalism. Don't drift towards making it about a bunch of rules. It's all about Jesus. And so I think it's a big reason why Paul is one last time hitting this nail on the head a few more times um, to make sure this idea sticks. And um, the way he does it is really interesting it's, it's what you call a typology. So what he's going to do, we're going to read it in a second, you'll see. And ty- typology is where in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, a writer, um, sorry, even in the Old Testament, but the writer talks about a person in the Bible as a type of Christ, meaning that they are similar but not exactly the same. You with me? Now, to make sure that you're with me, I've got a little, um, we're going to have a little fun here. Uh, Rylan, if you'll put up that picture on the screen of um, Chipper and Duval. (laughs) Okay, so on the right, that's my dog, Duval. Yeah. And on the left, that's my sister's dog, Chipper. (laughs) Chipper is a shorky, which is a shih tzu, Lord forgive me for saying that in church, and a a yorkie, a a shorkie. so what we're going to do, just to, to, some typology here. So we're going to use a, a Venn diagram. I hope that y'all can see this. Wow, look at that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Very gifted. Very gifted. Okay. So let's, over here, we'll have old Chipper. <laughs> Sorry, I love roasting my sister's dog. <laughs> okay. So this is Duval over here. Duval. 
So let's, let's first, let's start off talking just very quickly here. What are some contrasts, like some things that are different about Chipper? So name some things about Chipper that are not true of Duval. Would you say she's small? I love it because it's actually a he, which is awesome. It just proves my point. Okay, okay. He is small, okay? And so about Duval, contrasting, we would say, yeah, he's a big dog. He doesn't look, this, this, this picture doesn't really do him justice. I mean, he, he's much more majestic than even the picture shows. Okay, okay. Uh, what else would we say about, uh, let's, let's do one about Duval. That's not true, uh, something that's true of Duval, but not true of Chipper. He eats more, okay, absolutely. So that what kind of goes under, he's big, he eats more, but that's true. What else? He's manly, okay, perfect. I hope my sister listens to this podcast, okay. Chipper. <laughs> Feminine, yes. Or we'll say not manly. Sorry, Blake, that's my sister's husband. Not manly, okay. Then there's themes like, okay, Chipper is lame, right? <laughs> like, Duval is awesome, like, okay. Things like that. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm having too much fun with this. Um, if you can't tell, I'm not a small dog person, all right? So, okay, though there are some differences, what are, there's some similarities, as much as I hate to say it. They're both dogs, okay? Excellent. They shed, that is very true. Say it again. Golden, yes. Anything else? Four legs, perfect, okay, great. Actually, Chipper, I'm kidding. <laughs> it, was a, it was a freak lawn mowing accident. <laughs> so that's terrible. Anyways, okay. <laughs> so here from this wonderful picture, <laughs> sorry, Meredith, Meredith is my sister's name. Um, from this wonderful picture in the Venn diagram, you see, okay, we have a little typology going that they are different, but also there's some similarities. Y'all with me? Y'all with me? So you could just like humor me for a second. You could say Chipper is a type of Duval, though he just doesn't quite measure up. You know what I'm saying? Like, he, he's just not as good, okay? So, that, oh, I don't have an eraser. What's in here? Hey, look at that, an eraser. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do now, as silly as that was, again, in this passage, Paul is, he's using typology to look at, excuse me, typology to look at Adam and at Jesus, and he's gonna point out some differences and some similarities. And, it, and here's the cool thing. We're gonna, it teaches us and reminds us, I guess you could say, of a beautiful truth about justification by faith. Again, hit that nail on the head one more time. And so what we're gonna do, we're gonna start off by talking about the differences between Adam and Jesus. But first, let's just read through the passage. Romans chapter five, starting in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. 
But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Again, justification meaning God looks at me as just as if I'd never sinned because he credits me, he gives me the righteousness of Christ. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. I love this. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, that is his righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Man, I'm not gonna lie, that's an amazing passage, but it's really, really thick. And so that's why we're gonna do, um, again, not trying to treat you like we're a bunch of nerds in here, but um, if you'll humor me, we're gonna, we're gonna do the whole Venn diagram because I think it's the best way to kind of process and see what Paul's saying here. So we'll, um, I don't have any cool pictures for Adam and Jesus. I guess I could have, but I just didn't do that. Um, so here we go again, and we'll say over here is Adam. Here's Jesus. So first of all, tell me, we're gonna, just like we did with Chipper and Duval, though this is way more serious than Chipper and Duval, um, tell me first of all, what are some things that are true of Adam and what he did and the, the consequences that brought that are not true of Jesus, okay? Um, and again, feel free, I know it's a little more intimidating because it's not as obvious, but feel free to shout that out if you see something. Say it again. He sinned. Absolutely. What else? Yes. Okay. Yeah, death reigned. So we're gonna, I'm going to, just to kind of keep on track here, and you're exactly right. I'm going to assume he didn't rise again. Yeah, I like the way he said that. Death reigned in Adam's life, right? Like eventually he died and he stayed dead. Okay. Um, what else? What did his sin bring? Okay, death. What else? You can look at, yes, condemnation. Yeah, look at your Bible. It's not cheating. Okay. You're like, the people that just came from the chemistry test are like, I'm so confused right now. Condemnation. Can y'all even read what I'm writing? That's pretty bad. So, oh, yeah. Oh, man. Man, maybe I'm getting better. <laughs> okay, what else? But just for a second time, verse 19, as by the one man's disobedience, I know this is kind of like saying sinned, but he disobeyed God, right? And then um, verse 19, what does it say the result was of his disobedience or is? For as by the one man's disobedience, what? Yeah, we're all, we're all sinners. So we're all, thank you, Adam. <laughs> we're all sinners, okay? Um, now, let's flip-flop, come over here. So again, things, then we're gonna talk about things that are true of Jesus that are not true of Adam that we'll put over here. So what do you see there? He, yeah, he's sinless, okay? And to skip down to verse um, 19, another word, so he's sinless. 
Did, and what's this? He, he obedient, right? Meaning he like he did what God wanted him to do. Okay, what else? Does it was it say in the text that he either he did or is or um, that was a result of his actions? Hey, there's a word. Okay, I heard that one. Justification. Yes. So he brought rather than condemnation, he brought justification. Um, also, I don't know if I wrote it this way, but. Look back, so to go back to Adam, just for a second, I don't want to confuse you. But it says, therefore, just as sin came into the world, so Adam, like, through what he did, sin came into the world. Now jump down to um, verse 15. For if many died through, uh, I'm skipping about halfway. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. So I'm going to say kind of the opposite of sin coming into the world over here. For Jesus, the grace of God comes into the world through his action. Y'all with me? That's kind of a cool thought, grace of God. Um, anything else we see? Okay, uh, I'm getting excited. Um, verse 19, so by the one man's obedience, the many, what? We're made righteous through what he did. And then, so if over here, death reigned, um, jump down to verse 21, what does it say with Jesus, what reigns? 21, grace, man, that's a cool thought, grace reigns, not death, and then also through Jesus comes what, uh, verse, rest of verse 21, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life, all right, again, this, we're just kind of jumping around, I know, but getting some thoughts here, so I think we'll stop there for time, so we got some differences, right, so again, typology, there are differences, these are some major differences. Now, I'll be honest, y'all. When I was studying this passage, I kept thinking like, okay, I, I see the differences, but I just don't get it. Like, I was afraid I was gonna have to stop. Like, all right, well, the sermon ends here. Like, I just didn't know, I wasn't really sure what to, what to do with it. But this, Paul's point that he's trying to make to us is not in the differences. His point lies in the similarity, and this is where we're gonna have to camp out for a second because we're Westerners and we don't think this way. The similarity is that, I don't know how to draw this out looking weird, but um, each of their actions change everything for us. So Adam, what he did changed everything for us, right? What Jesus did if you trust in him by faith, can and will change everything for you. You with me? And that's not quite the point yet, but we're getting somewhere. So that is the similarity. So I'm just gonna write actions change everything. Actually, their actions change everything. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but what, what Paul's saying in this passage is that what Adam did, we are guilty for. And I just want to be if you look at the text, he doesn't say, though he does say that we all sinned, he doesn't, he, he's careful to make the point that not, we're guilty under the wrath of God, not just because we sinned, but we're guilty because of what Adam did. 
Now, if I'm honest, that, that doesn't quite seem fair, right? Like if, let's fast forward, probably not that long, maybe like a year and a half, I don't know. And if Haddon, who's our boy, like, I don't know, chews on the table. <laughs> That's really weird. Maybe not that. Maybe he draws on the wall, okay? He draws on the wall. Um, it almost seems unfair if I were to get on Carolina Tate as well, right? Because Haddon did it. But here's, here's what Paul's saying. Adam sinned and we are guilty. Not just because we sin also, but Adam sinned and we're guilty. Which, if I'm honest, to a Westerner, to me, it almost seems a little fair. Unfair. <laughs> Sorry. As Westerners, like in our culture, we value, we prize individuality, right? If you, if you show... Um, a person who's from a Western culture like America or even Europe, um, a picture of a man in a field, they actually did a study on this, a picture of a man in a field, you say, what do you see? They're gonna say, I see a man in a field. If you show someone that same picture um, and that person being, and they're from an Eastern culture, they're gonna look at that picture and say, oh man, I see the trees, I see the grass, I see the sky, and I see the man, but they see, they see everything. They see interconnectedness. The Bible was written Sad news, guys, not in a Western culture. <laughs> it was written in an Eastern culture where the emphasis is on um, human connectedness. There's something called, and it wasn't, this term wasn't like around in, the, in biblical times, but there's something called federal headship um, that describes what's going on here. And I, I wanna, I'm gonna read a quote from Tim Keller that kind of helps us understand this idea. And, here, and here's the, just to kind of get ahead of it a little bit. The idea is that Adam, being the head, the father of humanity, is our representative. So what he does gets credited to us. You with me? Because he's our head, he's our representative, he's the father of humanity. Here's what Tim Keller says. The idea of solidarity, unity, is that you can have a legitimate relationship with a person so that whatever that person achieves or loses, you achieve, you achieve or lose. This is the concept of a representative. A representative involves those they represent in the fruits of his or her action, for good or ill. In philosophy and theology, this has often been called federal headship. A federal head is a person who, through a covenant relationship, re represents or stands in for someone else. In the East today and around the world in former times, it is considered legitimate for some people to have this relationship to you, either by birth or by assignment. In the Western world, we only recognize the legitimacy of such a person if we voluntarily choose to be in that relationship. And so then he, he gives some examples. So in, in Western culture, we still have this in, in very few things. So one example, probably the example we most understand best, is um, as Americans, whether you like it or not, again, we're not going politics here, but whether you like it or not, President Donald Trump represents you. <laughs> not going political here um, but whether you like it or not that's like who he, rep he represents you so, here, so here's where I'm going with this so if, if President Trump and again let's not make comments here but if he um, declares war on North Korea whether you like it or not again I'm not, I'm not saying that's a good thing whether you like it or not like as an American you just declared war on North Korea like that's how it works Are you with me? Um, and we could, we could do that on a lesser level. Um, if, okay, so in, in World War II, when Japan 
um, bombed Pearl Harbor, even though I'm sure there were some innocent, what I would say, like, they weren't thinking they, that Japan should bomb America. Uh, when that happened, by, by default of federal headship, every person in Japan was at war with America, whether they wanted to be or not. Does that make sense? And, and maybe a lesser way to think of that, uh, or maybe a smaller way to think of that, would be a lawyer with a defendant. So when, when a defendant enters into a relationship with a lawyer, they're agreeing that, as the, it's basically telling the lawyer, you can represent me, and anything you do, it's as if I'm doing. And anything that, any benefits or consequences you have, I will experience them as well. Does that make sense? That's, that's federal headship. So here, here's the point. Adam's sin is our sin. Because he's, he's our head. He's our representative. The consequences of Adam's sin are our consequences. Every human being who has ever lived. Be all. Here's, here's where the beauty is. In the same way, again, right here, for those who trust in Jesus, his obedience is your obedience. That's why Paul says, by the obedience of one man, who? And his name is Jesus. By the obedience of one man, the many will be made righteous. Because the way this works, federal headship, Jesus' obedience is our obedience. So that means all of, the, all of the benefits of his obedience that he got to experience, guess who gets to experience those? Us, if we believe in Christ, if we trust in Christ. So here's, here's the beauty, again, that Paul is reminding us. And it's what justification by faith is, what it means is in the word. Your salvation has absolutely zero to do with you. It's not based on you. It's based on Jesus Christ and his perfection. So again, Adam and Jesus are completely different, but they're the same in that their actions affect everything about your life. So Paul's point is, if you, if you trusted in Jesus, it changes everything for you. I, I don't want to like quote you to death, but this is too good not to share. This is, um, John Piper was kind of commenting on why he thinks Paul wrote these verses. And he says, he did it for the sake of our faith and our assurance and our joy. He did it to underline the fact that our right standing with God and our freedom from condemnation is not based on our righteous acts, but on Christ's righteous acts. This is the foundation of the great biblical truth of justification by grace alone through faith alone. It has rescued thousands of saints from the despair of legalism and the paralyzing fear of imperfection. Christ became obedient even unto death so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here is rest for your soul. Here is a message that everyone you will ever meet needs to hear. Christ is our righteousness. Trust him. Trust him. Trust him. Now if we could, just for a second, I'm gonna go back to their differences and something that I intentionally kind of skipped over earlier. I'll be, I'll be real quick here. Look at verse 15 
I'm just going to read that verse just for just a little bit of it. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Now skip down to verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And then one more time, verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Here's what I want you to see. If you could compare these again. The work of Jesus right here overwhelms, conquers the work of Adam. So here's what Paul makes very clear, much more, much more, abounded much more, is that this is not this like, oh, Adam and Jesus, like they're, they're um, or Adam over here, Jesus over here, they're, the results are kind of the same. He's saying, man, when you compare them, what Jesus did, it far outweighs, far conquers what Adam did. I think to understand this, you gotta back up a little bit. In verse in verses 12 through 14, he talks about the law and it being given, given and that he says that even before the law was given, sin was in the world, which makes sense, right? It's not like people were killing each other in Adam and Eve's time and lying and stealing and then, and then God was like, you know what? I think I don't like that. I'm gonna give you all some rules. No, like, no, he already saw it as sin, as rebellion against him. But the point when it says in verse um, if I'm here, sorry. Verse 20, the, now the law came in to increase the trespass. Here's what he's saying. The law, not that it was given so that like, it would increase sin. So it's not, it's not a statement of purpose. It's a statement of result, meaning that once the law was given, sin is actually worse and more readily seen. So I'll, I'll maybe illustrate it this way. The other night, I don't know what day it was, um, doesn't matter. Anyways, was sitting on the couch, bottle feeding one of the kids. And the way the sun was coming in through our, the front of our house and the way the lights were on, our floor looked disgusting. Like there was just Duval's hair because he sheds a lot. We already discovered that, right? It was disgusting. There was like, it was just kind of gross. But then that night, like at two in the morning when I'm feeding the kid, and it's dark in the house, I was like, floor looks amazing. <laughs> looks great. He said, the law, like a light, reveals how dirty your life is. Whereas the law came to increase the trespass. So before the law was given, People were sinning. But then when God, in Moses' time, gave the law, sin is even more clearly seen. And not is it only more clearly seen, it also makes it just a little bit worse, right? So what I mean is, if I'm driving down the road and I literally am like, man, I have no idea what the speed limit is. And the police officer pulls me over. I'm like, sir, I'm so sorry. Like, I was speeding. Either way, like, I was speeding. What I was doing was wrong. But he might say, okay, legit, like, you haven't seen a speed limit sign and like, 200 miles, that wouldn't be real. But, you know, but he, they might be like, okay. But if like every five miles there's a speed limit sign, he's gonna go, hey, like, 
Not only were you speeding, which is wrong, but like you knew better. So it's actually like your wrongness is increased in that you knew, right? 20, verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass. I love this. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. What was the statement I said a second ago? The work of Christ overcomes, overwhelms, overshadows the work of Adam. So here's, this, here's the picture Paul's giving us. As sinful, as messed up as we are, God's grace is always a step ahead. So no matter how long and um, quickly flowing the river of sin in your life is, the river of God's grace is always faster, deeper, and stronger, and longer. No matter how big the mountain of sin in your life that you've piled up, God's grace is always bigger and higher. No matter how long, excuse me, how loud the, the song of sin is in your life, God's grace is always louder. I love what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, that God's grace, it's, um, I'm, I'm gonna mess this up, sorry. He says, it's abounding grace to pardon immeasurable sin. It's where we get the song, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. If you grew up in church, you've probably heard that before. So to, to close, here's the idea, I think, of verses 12 to 21. We already kind of hinted at this. Your salvation, if you're a Christian, if you've trusted in Jesus, and if you're not a Christian, this could be true of you, <laughs> but your salvation is 100% totally, completely, entirely based on the overwhelming perfection and overcoming grace of Jesus. It has nothing to do with you. You know what? You can rest in that. Because of that, that, that changes the way I worship. I don't have to come to worship and like, oh man, I gotta get myself fixed up so God will accept me. You know, I come to worship and I'm just in awe that God loves me and he's forgiven me and I, and I get to experience all these awesome things because of him and it has nothing to do with me. And again, we're gonna see next week if you hear that and think, well, I'm gonna go out and live in sin, then you don't get it, okay? We'll see that next week. But, but because of Jesus, I get to experience all these things. That changes the way, that changes the way I read my Bible. Now it's not just like this to-do list and I read the gospels and like, Man, I want to be like, I got to be like Jesus. And you should want to be like Jesus. But when you understand justification by faith, not only do you read the Gospels and think, man, I want to be like Jesus, you read them and go, man, Jesus was perfect. Man, he was so kind and loving to people. I could never be that way. I'm so glad that he was because by his grace, I'm saved. It changes the way you interact with people because instead of being like carrying around this overwhelming burden of I got to be moral, I got to be good, when you know that man, you've been forgiven and you're loved in Jesus, all of a sudden you have time and the mental capacity to actually engage with someone and care about them because you're not like in your head like, what do I say, what do I do? Like, no, you're like, you know Jesus is taking care of that. Your identity, your, your standing before God is completely 100% based on Jesus. Martin Luther, I've mentioned him a couple times as we've been going through Romans. He really, even once he was a Christian, struggled with legalism and like what um, Eric Metaxas, an author, calls like navel gazing. Like he was always just obsessed with his sin. And before he came to Christ, before he understood the gospel, 
He felt like he had to earn his way to heaven. He thought the way to do that was just to really bear down and think about how sinful he was and try to mine out all the sin in his life. But it was interesting. The the further he dug into his, actually really sad, the further he dug into his life and tried to get just to the bottom of sin, he realized there was no bottom. That the further he dug, it was just more sin. Like he could never get to the bottom and like, all right, I finally confessed all my sin. Like there was always more. It was always deeper until he understood the gospel. Here's what he said when he understood the gospel. At last, by the mercy of God, meditating day and night, I gave heed to the context of the words, namely, in the righteousness of God, uh, in it, the, about the gospel, sorry, in it, the righteousness of God is revealed. As it is written, he who through faith is righteous shall live. There I began to understand that the righteousness of God is that by which the righteous lives by a gift of God, namely by faith. And this is the meaning. The righteousness of God is revealed by the gospel, namely the passive righteousness. So again, not something I do, something that's giving to me. The passive righteousness with which the merciful God justifies us by faith. Here I felt that I was altogether born again and had entered paradise itself through open gates. And listen to this. So remember how like struggle, how much he struggled with legalism and how much he like reflected on himself and just like felt like, man, I could never be good enough for God. Here's what he later wrote to a friend after he understood the gospel. It is enough that by the riches of God's glory, we have come to know the lamb that takes away the sin of the world. No sin will separate us from the lamb. Even though we commit fornication and murder a thousand times a day, do you think that the purchase price that was paid for the redemption of our sins by so great a lamb is too small? If I could like just give you one little nugget of truth to walk away with from this passage, here it is. It all rests on Jesus so you can rest in Jesus. Believer, rest and rejoice in Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus, you can quit running and trying to climb that hill of morality and turn to Jesus for salvation, forgiveness, and hope. It all rests on Jesus so you can rest in Jesus. I pray for us.